so much for these children and thank you for those who are serving with them, are loving on them, are just pouring themselves into those children and prayerfully and preparing to teach them about your great love for them and your great love for us. And so, Father, we pray that your word would be clear. We pray that the activities would be fun and that they would just enjoy each other and learn something new about you that could change their life as well as ours. Lord, be with us as we look at your word in this room. Pray that the Holy Spirit would move, would speak to us in ways that we need to be challenged or convicted or comforted. Father, I pray that you, not me, would be heard this morning as we look into your word. Pray that our attentions would be drawn to you, Father, and our hearts would be open to you for the Spirit to do the work in our lives that the Spirit is called to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we've been working through the book of Galatians, and uh, right now in chapter 3, what we're going to look at is Paul is actually providing evidence now to support what he's been saying in the first two chapters. Imagine you say, if, if you're like in a courtroom or something, and, and Paul is basically spending the first chapter there just kind of nailing down his authority as an apostle, where it came from. It did not come from man. It came from God. And he's doing this in a way that he's kind of putting himself there alongside the Judaizers who have been coming in and teaching some things, trying to add some things to the gospel. He's doing this so that the Galatians themselves can determine what is the truth. Imagine the, the Judaizers, he's saying, hey, I am been appointed by God to be an apostle to the Gentiles. I have not been appointed by man. And what he's saying is these guys have been sent by other men. These guys have not been sent by God. And then he, he goes on, he says, I've been given a gospel straight from God. I have not learned this gospel from any other man. Those guys have come to you with a gospel that, adding, adding to the gospel teachings from other men. And so he's laying this out before the Galatians. And then he gives an example of how he confronted him, chapter 2, how he, he went before the apostles and kind of wanted to nail this down. He wanted to make sure that this was going to be what everybody uniformly was going to agree on. And they did. They did. They, they came to an agreement that they're justified by faith alone. This went out to, this was going to go out to all the churches. And the churches were not only going to hear from Paul, but they were going to hear from the apostles that this is, what's, this, this is the truth and this is what's going on. And Paul gave an example of how he confronted Peter face to face. Even though Peter knew better, Peter, as he sat down with Gentiles, had meal with Gentiles, interacted with Gentiles, and as soon as the Judaizer showed up, he backed away from the Gentiles. Paul called that hypocrisy. Called him on the table for it. And he said, listen, you can believe that all you want, but if you're not going to act like it, you're hurting the church. And Paul confronted Peter on that. And so he's basically, he's, he's bringing all of this stuff to the church, and now we see here in chapter 3, he's going to start giving some evidence, and he's going to start personally with the, look, look at what he says to the Galatians, and, and don't, yeah, let's just read this for the first few verses here. You foolish Galatians, what a way to start it off, right? How many, how many of us would someone come to say, hey, 
you foolish David Hutton. I got, so listen, I promise you, I'm checking that guy off right then. I mean, if I'm sitting in Chick-fil-A enjoying a, a sandwich and somebody sits down across me and says, hey, you fool. The walls have just went up, right? I don't, I, I don't know that I'm going to care what this person, I'm going to hear him, but I don't know immediately my wall is going up. But here Paul is just saying, you foolish Galatians. We're going to clarify this here in a minute, what he really meant by that. You foolish Galatians who has been, who has, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Again, he's, Paul is just not the most politically correct, the most heartwarming, milk toast kind of guy, right? He just crawls right up in your grill and just lays it out for you. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Paul is starting off his defense and, and, and providing evidence now. He's, he's asking them, you guys, when you came to faith, was it because of something you did or was it because of the word that was preached and the spirit came down on you and changed your hearts? What happened? And he, he knows the answer because Paul was there and Paul was the one bringing him the word in the first missionary journey in, Galatia, in, in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Paul is the one making his way through city after city here, sharing the gospel with people, starting off in the temples and in people's homes and all that, planting churches. And when he came back through, when he was returning home, he was appointing elders in those churches. And so you got a guy here who knows what happened to them, and he's wanting them to just kind of be aware of that. He's wanting them to, to, to own that and to realize that what these guys are coming in here and telling us is in addition to what Paul happened and in reality what the Spirit did in our lives. Paul here, he, when he calls them foolish, he's not calling them idiots or anything. It's, it's really when he uses words like who has bewitched you, who has tricked you, is really what that's saying? Who has tricked you? He's just saying, man, are you so naive? Are you so gullible? Now, that's not necessarily a good thing to start, but it's a lot better than be called a fool. I mean, I've been called gullible. I've been called naive. I've been called fool too, but I don't like the fool part of it, but I can deal with the gullible and naive a lot better. Here he's just saying, who has tricked you into believing this? into even considering this, when you think about what did the Spirit do? As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 13, verse 52, let me just turn it over there, see if, make sure I'm right here. Acts chapter 13, verse 52. Yeah, he says, this is in the middle of his trip to Galatia, the region, and, and starting all these churches. This is what he says. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So he's got evidence from his time there. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were engaged with the gospel. Their lives were changed not because of the works that they were doing, but because of the Spirit that acted on them. And so Paul's first evidence here is that, that let me uh, get back to where I was. His first evidence here is that the Spirit worked on you. You didn't do anything. You had nothing to do with it. When he says here, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit, you are now perfected by the flesh? 
what God did, basically what he's saying, what God started in you, you think you could come along and perfect that? You think you can come along? And Paul actually challenged the Philippians, if you'll remember the, in, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I am confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will what? It will be perfected by you in the long run? No, that's not what it says. He will perfect it in you. Not you will perfect it in you. You can't do anything. You can obey, yes. You can go along for a ride. You can pursue. You can do all that. But the change and the transformation that happens is in us is not what we do. It's what he does in us. And so here, he's saying, begun by, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provide you with the Spirit and works miracles or power among you, do it by works of the law or by hearing in faith? And no doubt, they have to come to the conclusion, what he's saying here, they have to come to the conclusion it wasn't anything we did. We heard Paul and Barnabas preach. We heard them in that first missionary journey, and boom, the Spirit showed up. Boom, lives were changed. It was nothing they brought to the table. So that was the first thing they did. And the second thing he's going to do here, if you'll look in starting in verse 6, is he starts looking back in history. And he's more than likely doing this not only with the Gentiles who have come to faith, but he's doing this for those Judaizers who still might be in there. He's doing it for those who have become Christians from the Jewish faith and are still kind of figuring out, well, who's telling us the truth? Because if you remember in the church in Antioch when this is going on, the church actually sent Paul and Barnabas and others to Jerusalem to say, hey, you guys go work this out. You figure this out and come back and report to us because they were even confused by what, all, by what was all being said. But here Paul writes to the Galatians in verse 6, even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith that are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham forever. There are two verses in that passage that are referencing what happened, what happened to Abraham back in Genesis. The first one there is in verse 6, when he says, and even so Abraham Quote, believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Those are exact words just about what God had said to Abraham when he said in back in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, and then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed in the Lord. When, Ab when, when God was telling Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 there, he was making promises to Abraham about what was going to happen to him in the future. If you'll remember, he, got, he takes him out and he says, see the stars up there? Man, that's the way your descendants are going to be. You're going to be numbered. That, you're you're going to have a great nation. You're going to be influential around the world. I'm going to be with you. We're going to take you to a place and give you. A, he's telling him. He, all of this stuff is part of the promise that he's given to Abraham. And it says that Abraham believed in God. He believed God. And it was credited to him or reckoned to him as righteousness. And then in verse 8 of Galatians here, it says, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. This comes from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And it says, And in you all the families or peoples or nations, whatever your translation might say, and in you all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed. What Paul is saying here to the Gentiles is when he was being told that, it says, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That God not only was going to go after Abraham, God was not only going to go after his family, but through all the peoples in the land around the world were going to be blessed by this promise that God was going to come to Abraham, was going to provide, was going to reach out to them, was going to gather them in, was going to pursue them, was going to provide for them, that God was going to do all of this. The covenant where circumcision is even mentioned is not until Genesis chapter 17. And so already you see that in Genesis chapter 12 and in Genesis chapter 15, God has given Abraham a promise. And it's not until the covenant shows up. And let me just give you, you know, a lot of people, well, 12 and 17, how long apart is that? Well, Paul, uh, Abraham was circumcised when he was 99 years old. Ishmael was born when he was 86 years old. So you're talking about at least 13 years right there. It has to be 14 years because of conceiving and all that kind. So, so you're talking about at least 14 years and possibly longer. Was Paul waiting for righteousness to come on to him? Was he waiting for God to bless him with faith and righteousness? Or had he already attained that before Genesis 17 showed up and he was circumcised? It says... It was reckoned to him as righteousness. What was? Because of his faith, because of his belief. And so Paul is telling the Galatians, and he's telling the people there who know the history of the Jewish traditions and the Mosaic law and all that. He's he's telling them, hey, listen, before circumcision was even a thing, It was found that Paul was found righteous because of his belief, because of his faith. And that's at least a 14-year window there. And so he's encouraging the Galatians by these two things. When did the Spirit come on you and start working? And historically, personally, that's what he did. But historically, he was saying, when when was Paul, when it was accredited to him as righteousness? When was it credited to him as righteousness. So he's, he's laying his case out here before the people, the, the Galatian church, the, the churches in Galatia. He's laying his case out, and he actually kind of hammers that a little further down here. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3, or verse 15. Let's start there. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it was ratified, no one sets it aside and adds conditions to it. All he's saying here is that when two men sit down and shake hands and come to agreement on each with each other, you don't break it. A handshake means something, right? Contracts mean something. You can't just up and break a a handshake, an agreement that you have with someone. So he's saying here in verse 16, now the promise was, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say in seeds uh, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate the covenant previously ratified by God, 
so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. And basically what he's saying is this. He's saying that the Mosaic law came during the Exodus, and you're, you're talking about when they were there for like 400 years after they were released by Pharaoh and they were wandering around out there. They got the Ten Commandments. They got all the, uh, the Leviticus and, and Numbers and, and Deuteronomy and all, all that was written, the laws and everything. So you got all that there by Moses. 400 plus years, actually 650 years is when Abraham got it, but when he passed it on to Isaac and passed it on to Jacob and right before they went into Egypt, Genesis 46, God told Jacob, hey, you go ahead and go on into Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation there, and then I'm going to bring you back. And so he's just kind of clearing up part of that promise there with him there. And so that's about 430 years you're talking about. And even that, he's saying, does not nullify the promise that was made earlier. So you've got the promise, you've got the covenant, you've got the Mosaic law. And he's saying none of that nullifies that promise that was made. None of it. Verse 19, why the law then? Why? What is the purpose of the law then? Well, there's a couple of things that he addresses in here. We've talked quite a bit over the last couple of weeks about why the law is in place. He brings it up earlier. And we're not going to like hammer that like we have, but I am going to kind of give an overview. But I do want us to look back at verse 10. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul starts off by, you know, kind of going through this. For as many... As are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. So here he's saying that to follow the law, the law here is actually a curse. It is a curse not in a way that here is the law, we should, you, we should obey this, but it is a curse if you carry this like a weight, like you do those bricks we were talking about, you've carried a brick for every law and you have 600 plus bricks on your shoulders and you're kind of balancing it and walking around, it's the burden that it is. If you, that is a curse to try to carry all of those things, to perform them all, which is what he said there. That actually comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26 that verse and he uses the old testament in all of these places he uses the old testament to kind of go down and show that the law was not meant was not meant to be the all in all of faith and salvation and eternal life and blessing and promise and all those things now that no one is justified by the law because god before god is evident for the righteous man shall live by faith that's in habakkuk 2:4 However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. He who practices them. If you say, well, you know, I think I'm good enough. This is, this is a conversation I have with a lot of people. Well, I don't know that I need that church stuff you talk about. I don't know that I need that religion stuff you're talking about. I th I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I feel like I'm doing good. I'm, I'm helping people. I actually volunteer down at the soup kitchen or, or I pick up trash in my neighborhood and I help people who are in need and all this kind of, you know, how can God kind of say no to me? Well, if you're going to live by those rules and those laws and things like that, you're also going to be judged by those rules and laws. And all it takes is to break one of those laws and we're condemned forever. And again, how many of us, 
even as Ben was up here and he was praying and he was talking about how we strive for holiness and walking right with God and all that, and how many of us just this week alone had a thought we shouldn't have had, said something we shouldn't have said, did something we shouldn't have done. We know that it was dishonoring to God. We just broke the law. We don't have to carry that weight. We don't have to have that burden lay down on us because here he, he's saying, he who practices them shall live by them, but Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. In verse 13, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's found in Deuteronomy 21, 23. And look at verse 14. In order that, all of this stuff is true. That law, if you want to live by it, then you go ahead, you're going to be judged by it. But if, you, if, you, if that has become a burden, you know that we, it, you cannot be justified by the law or anything like that, that Jesus, he, he was a curse on the tree on our behalf in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Again, he's, he's talking about, he, he ties his two points earlier. The personal one where the spirit, when did the spirit come on you? And then the historical one, when did, when did faith come to Abraham? When, it was, when was it reckoned to him as righteousness? And he brings those two points together right here in verse 14 when he says that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Not through works, through faith. Friends, that for those of us who might be thinking we can be good enough, listen, we can. I told you last week just a little bit of a joke uh, uh, kind of thing when, when my sons were, you know, when they were arguing and fighting and I said something, you know, they used to come running to me, Dad, this isn't fair, whatever it was. Dad, this isn't fair. And my response always to them was, if you want fair, then we all die and go to hell. That's fair. Because we cannot be good enough for God. But, thank God, he had a plan in place where it says, in order that Christ Jesus, the blessing, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. It might come to David Hutton. It might come to Kayla Billingsley. It might come to Katrina. It might come to Rachel. It might come to Mike. It might come to all of us. So that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We do not have to live with the burden of feeling like we have to perform a certain level in the eyes of God. Does that mean we can do whatever we want? No, that's not what that means. We should want to try to honor God. We still want to try to glorify God. We're called to do that. We still want to try to obey God and, 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 and do those things. But that is not to be saved. That's because we are saved. Because we recognize that in and of ourselves, that whatever it is that God did, there was no way that we could come near performing anything that would merit salvation, that would merit eternal life with him. We, we bring nothing to the table. But in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. In Christ Jesus, we're not just a new creation. We're an ambassador for Christ. In Christ Jesus, we're called to join him in the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ Jesus, it says here that we have the blessing of Abraham and the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. Verse 19, so why the law then? 
Why is it there? It was added because of transgressions. We talked about this a little bit previously where it was there to show us that in no way do we have the ability, do we have the ability to be holy before God. It was there to show us that here is is what God expects. This is what God demands. This This is what needs to be done. If you want to try to live a holy life, you want to try to earn it, here it is. 600 plus laws have at it. No, we know we can look at that list and come, man, just sitting here in church already, I have broken a few of those. But it is to show us, this, the, the law is there to show us that in what, what, what situation, what condition we are in as we stand before him. It is there to show us our sin. Morally, that's what it's there for. But prophetically, that law is there for, like I said last week, to point us to Christ. Look at what it says over here. In verse 24, actually, let's just read through some of this here, starting in verse 20. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. What he's saying here is that righteousness would not be based on faith. It would have been based on the law. But Paul here, and he showed in the Old Testament in several places that that's not the case. But the Scripture has shut everyone under sin. The Scripture has showed us, the law has showed us that we are under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we, we were kept in custody under the law. We had a burden. We were bound to it. We were slaves to it. We were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, this is what I want you to see. The law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. So that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We no longer need a tutor to show us. Because now Jesus has come, he has died on the cross in our place. That is the only thing. That that was him coming and living his perfect life because we're not perfect. He came and he lived out that perfect life to satisfy the debt to God, to die on the cross in our place because the scriptures tell us, right, that, that, that God, he demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He had to do that because the scriptures teaches the wages of our sin is death, total separation from God. That's what it says in the scriptures. That's not what I say. That's what Paul says in the scriptures. We are totally separated from God, but God loved us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Christ, when he was buried, three days later was resurrected. He conquered sin and death. And that is the only way that we will ever ever satisfy the debt in our lives is as we clothe ourselves in him. As we stand with him, as we follow him, as we embrace him, pursue him, as we believe in him. The scriptures tell us that if you, that if you believe that God raised him from the dead and confess him with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. That's what the scriptures teach. That's not what I teach. That's what the scriptures teach. And so Paul 
is trying to get the Galatians to see they do not have to live under the weight of this law that these Judaizers are trying to bring in to say, here's the dietary laws, here's the cleansing laws. If you're hanging out with Gentiles, here's the laws of circumcision and all of these things. He's bringing all, they're bringing all of this stuff saying, hey, you have to be Jewish before you're truly a Christian. And Paul is saying, nonsense, that's ridiculous. And he goes before the apostles. He, he, he gets an agreement with them. He confronts Peter on not just what he, not, not what he believes, but how he's, how he's acting, knowing that he knows the truth, but he's acting out a certain way. And he's confronting him saying, hey, you can't be like that. These people are watching you, Peter. You can't act like that. If you go and do that, you're just telling, you're just telling the churches everywhere that what they're saying is true. You can't do that. And so Paul is laying his case out before them. And look at what he says here in verse 27. This is, this, is, this, is, this is the difference in being a slave to a master or being employed to an employer. If you're a slave to a master and you mess up something, right? You're a slave to a master. What happens to the slave most of the time? We, we, you read stories and stuff like that. There's, there's punishment in some way. There's, somehow, there's, there, whether it's verbal abuse or whether it's physical abuse or whatever it is, there's a punishment in some way if a slave messes up to a master. If an employer messes up to an employee or vice versa, employee messes up and, and the employer says, hey, what are you doing? You're giving away our product? What's going on with that? What do you think that employer is going to do to the employee? going to punish them in some way they're going to hold them back in some way they could even fire them in some way if you're a, a player and a coach on a football team or a basketball team or whatever and the coach is telling you what to do and you don't do it you mess up you fumble the ball you throw an interception or whatever you could be replaced if you keep doing that they could bench you and put another guy in there in your place to do that job but here this is what look at what Paul does here but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. We don't become employees. We don't become slaves. We don't become players or anything like that. We become a part of the family. And I know that when my sons would mess up doing something, I never kicked them out of the house. Hey, man, you, you can do better. But I still loved them. And they were still part of my family. And when... Whatever it is, we don't go kicking our family members out. They are family. And Paul here is telling Galatians now, in the spirit, just like with Abraham, we're, we're a descendant of Abraham now. We are a part of the family of God. We are, look at what it says even going into verse uh, chapter 4 there as you read on in the, through verse 7. And now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ in all that a slave, although he is owned. He is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
so that, we, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. Friends, we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are part of a family that will never be cast out if we are truly in Christ. We, have all, we are an heir in the family of God. And I don't know exactly the way that's going to look. I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to show up and there's going to be a pile of gold waiting on us or anything like that. I don't know how that's going to play out. You know, it's going to be like, you know, we're going to go up there, get a pile of gold, and we're going to want a pile of gold. And somebody's going to say, man, that's what we paved the streets around here with. Well, don't you want something more than that? I don't know how it's going to play out. But all I know is this, is that with God, a part of the family of God, I know I will not suffer. There will be no tears. There will be no pain. There will be, no, there will be none of that. We will be with him through eternity. But without him, I will not be in a very good place. I will be in a place called hell. It is a real place. And I know there are churches that just don't like to teach or preach about hell. But it is a real place. And it is a place of suffering for eternity where the flesh does not die there will be suffering forever and ever. Total separation from God. I don't know what exactly that's going to look at, but I'm telling you, the description alone makes me think I want nothing to do with that. And I don't know exactly what's coming, but as the descriptions I read, I want all to do with that. And you're not going to get there trying to do it under the law. You cannot be good enough. We cannot earn it. Scriptures teach us that we submit ourselves to him, that we surrender ourselves to him. And that is the way that we become a part of the family of God and experience all that he has, not just in the kingdom to come, but right here and right now. We can experience all that he has for us here in this place. The fullness of his joy, the peace that he has that's beyond understanding, the hope that we have, we do not have to live hopeless lives and, and all of these various things. He has that for us now. Knowing that the sufferings of this world can't even compare to the glory that will be revealed to us. Whatever's going on in our lives, it cannot compare and ought to. As James said, during those difficult times, during those trials and all that, we should consider that joy. Why? Because of the hope that we have in our future. Not because of where we are. I'm not hopeful about my circumstances in this moment. I am hopeful in Christ in this moment about my future. And we all can live that way wherever we are, whether it's you of I, another job, whether another school, whether you're working in your neighborhoods. I don't care how difficult your family situation is. It doesn't matter. You can have the hope and it can live out in our lives in a way that people will begin to wonder, what is up with you? Let's pray. Father, 
we know by what Paul has said here that we are justified by faith alone. We are so grateful, so thankful that you have not abandoned us and left us to ourselves, that we We have, to, we have to wander through this life hopeless. Living with regrets from moment to moment. Father, we do not have to be that way. Father, thank you for your great love to us. Help us, Father. Help us each day to walk in a way that is worthy of your great love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's just